Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Okay, I think we're at 9.30, and so we're going to welcome you. We have a small class for Lent 101. I think that's going to be good, frankly, because I hope that this will lead us into experiencing Lent. And so we've talked about with adult ed, that we expected a smaller for this, but that's what we're doing, and we want to welcome people online who are joining us to, for Lent 101, The Journey from Death to Life. Um, I did tune in to Pastor's sermon this morning. I did not get up early enough to come. <laughs> <laughs> that's too uh, weeks well, but with the, with the clock, I said, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I'm wondering... Before we even begin, just what your reactions, if you were at 8 o'clock, to Pastor's sermon. We're beginning signs of Lent, all traffic signs. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Were you there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just wondering if you had anything you wanted to share about that before we even started. The neat part is 2 Peter... 221. 221. Because he said we're going to stop at 221. Yeah, we're supposed to be asking ourselves at every day at 221. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the question you're supposed to ask? What are you stopping God from doing? And I was just thrilled to hear him. I had no idea. I knew he was going to do these signs of life, but I had no idea. And I was, I was just thrilled to hear him start that way. So, yeah. anyway, those of you, if you haven't seen it, you can. Tune in and see Pastor Harmon uh, at Facebook Live later in the day, or or um, uh, two o'clock later, this it? afternoon at two at two twenty one. <laughs> 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 so, um, as as usual, I I like for us to use the official prayer book of the Bible, the Psalms, to do our praying. So we will begin with this prayer from the Psalms, and how about if we pray it together? What mighty praise, belongs to you, Messiah. We will fulfill our vows to you, for you answer our prayers. All of us must come to you, though we are overwhelmed by our sins. You forgive them all. What joy for those you choose to bring here, those who live in your holy courts. What festivities await us inside your holy temple. You faithfully answer our prayers with laws and deeds, O God our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth. In the name of Jesus, you stand up our Lord. Amen. Each week we'll use some psalms that seem particularly fit for the season. Um, and I hope you heard some of those Lenten themes right there about our sins. And yet the joy that awaits us when we are present with him and when we notice his presence. Um, Last week, Pastor Harmon talked about a guide to Lent. And I don't know if it was in the bulletin that it said it was a brown bag guide, but anyway, he had Mm -hmm. had promoted on on Facebook that way, that it was the brown bag guide. And And remember, he had a window. Do you remember what the window was? You see who Jesus is. He pulled the window out of the bag, and it was a frame that looked like a window. That we will, we will focus on Jesus. We will get a window into who Jesus is. And then he had ashes, reminding us of death, and the consequences of sin, the crown of thorns, reminding us how it is that Jesus comes to take away that problem of death. And then the large rock. Remember what the large rock was? That was a huge rock to pull out. <laughs> thinking, what is he getting his hands around in there? And what was the rock? Remember? It points us to the end of Lent. With the rolling the stone away. Right. And it was just such a great big rock. It was wonderful. Well, I, I especially love that because what what he talked about was a theme that we're going to have over these weeks, these three weeks, as we think about Lent. And that is um, an Orthodox theologian, 
Greek Orthodox, Alexander Schmemann, writes in a book, Great Lent, and he calls Lent a season of bright sadness. And that's why I chose this picture as the background. And Tara had sent out to all the, the teachers, to, to Debbie Ward and to me and the, the pastors, is there a, a, a you know, we'll, we'll purchase the copyright on something, $5 or something, because we belong to whatever it is, artistic kind of thing, digital. And I just loved this image. It says hope. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yet, there's the cross, predominantly there, but beyond, and the focal point the focal point is in the center, beyond the cross. The focal point isn't really the cross. If you look at the cross, your eyes are then drawn. That's the yeah, isn't it? I mean, I just loved it. So anyway, that's going to be the theme all through these weeks, is that, yes, we are, we are entering a time of darkness because of the problem of sin, Genesis 3, and our sins that Jesus takes care of, but we, we focus on a bright Sadness. So anyway, here's what we'll do. Real quickly, we're going to, you know, anybody who, has, who hasn't been part of Lent, I mean, we may still get people in the next two weeks, but offer opportunities for those of us who have gone through it to consider opportunities that we might want to try during Lent. Um, we'll, especially today, we'll talk about how did we get to having a season of Lent, because you don't find it in the New Testament. So how did we get a season of Lent? And then we'll talk about spiritual disciplines. That's what we'll talk about next week for some of those practices for a walk of faith. And then on the third week, talk about how Lent might actually shape us individually and as a community of faith. So that, that's where we're going to go in our three weeks. That's really three, four, five there. And then, so each week I want to make sure we look at classic psalmody that fits the Lenten theme, and we'll do that in our prayers. Each week we'll look at Lenten scripture texts, traditional Lenten prayers we will always end with, and then we'll talk about spiritual disciplines. So, next week we'll be talking about disciplines of Lent, the practices, fasting, prayer, uh, scripture, focusing on scripture, but almsgiving is the, the way it's usually spoken of, and that's such, a, that's such an antiquated term that I'm slashing it with caritas, love, charity, the giving of ourselves, whether it is in, like you might think of money, or whether it is in the giving of ourselves in other ways and practices. But that's, that, those are some of the practices that we'll talk about, but those are the classic spiritual disciplines. Okay, so, now here's, and you know, I really should just get a chair. Because we're we're a small group. So what are some of your what have been some of your traditional Lenten practices? Tell me. What what have you what have you I've always gone for Lenten services. Lenten services, yeah. And not all churches do that. Did they do that when you were a yes. kid? You were we growing did. up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about anybody else? Well, okay, tell us, Joni. What was it about that that drew you as an adult? I mean, as a kid, maybe you were told to go. <laughs> well, no, I, I just think it was it was a time that our pastor was very positive about Lent. You know, he thought Lent was a time that when we really needed to come close together and be, be with the church. And, um, and I just grew up with that. From the time I was, you know, in, before catechism. Yeah. Okay. But um, that was very, very important season, time of year. Mm-hmm. Personally. Yeah. Okay, you look like you were going to say something. Yeah. Um, I went to Lutheran grammar school and was in, always in the choir and stuff. And <laughs> I think... Um, it was all about repentance because I know we sang the song Savior when it does to be. Yes, and yes. It, and glory yes. be to Jesus. Uh-huh. Those two songs we always sang. And I was, it always was the time of repentance of the time of the church you had to repent. And to think about how you could do things better, what you're doing wrong, and how you can, how you thank God for his forgiveness and I didn't change. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and so, I, I mean, I was in the children's choir, and um, 
I suppose that I don't even know if, if the choir started maybe in January, not in September, but this is but I remember the first time I learned to sing alto, an yeah. alto line was yeah. in Glory Be to Jesus. Yeah. In that choir. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that memory. As a child. Yeah, in a children's choir. And I'm guessing I mean I'm guessing I was sixth grade or something. I was little. Yeah, we started in fifth grade. Yeah, and maybe it was fifth grade. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody else? As an adult, giving some things up. Okay. You know, chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was tough. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and we'll talk more about that next week. We're going to, mm-hmm. going to hit on the on the concept of Ash Wednesday and fasting and some of those disciplines. But yeah, that's, mm-hmm. for many of us, that's, and Pastor mentioned it in his sermon today. Or was it last week's oh, last week? Last week? Yeah, that's, there are things you give up when you brought out the Girl Scout cookies yeah. that we also have now, sitting in the pantry. <laughs> but, but let me remind you, the 40 days, and I've counted it out on my calendar, I always have to do that because I'm always convinced there are not 40 days of Lent. <laughs> there are, but Sundays are not part right. of so yeah, so that we will actually find forty-five or forty-six, whatever it is, days. If you and I, and in my in my binder, I have a calendar that goes March to make sure. And I did tell you that, yeah. So, but we'll we'll talk about that. But yeah, often the idea of giving something up. But Pastor mentioned even today too. Some of you like to give things up, but I'm going to give you something to do, and that was at 2:21 to consider. And so apparently every week we're going to be giving something to consider. And if you were here for Ash Wednesday, when Pastor uh, Reverend Dr. Michael Ziegler was here from the Lutheran Hour, he challenged us to read, especially aloud with one another, the whole Gospel of John. He said it'll take you about the time it takes to watch a movie. So Gene and I on the way here today said we're going to do that. Whether it's today or tomorrow, sit together. Probably grab a glass of wine while we do it. <laughs> and if the lights turned up higher than you do for a movie, but but that's what we but that's what we're going to do. So okay, so we will be considering our own journey, even though we're looking at the you know the historical and the theological stuff of Lent. Okay. You know, I went home and changed... Oh, you know what it is, Larry. These words are off. I came here and changed my flash drive, put them in boxes so this wouldn't happen. But anyway, so some of the words are going to be off. Every family is shaped by the holidays it keeps together. I loved that. James Brower had wrote in an article in a, a, a Lutheran theological book, um, and he was head of worship for the Missouri Synod for many years. But I love that. I'm sorry, it's all askew. Um, that who your family is and who we partlows are is in many ways shaped by what we do when we get together, and especially then those traditions that come down. When when one of our daughters, when one of our sons was getting married. Our youngest daughter put together, I wish I had brought it, a partlow survival guide. She had found a, 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 a journal, but it had a metal cover, like a locker. Okay, but it was a metal cover, and she used marker and said, partlow survival guide. And she asked people in the family to send information that someone coming into the family needs to know in order to survive. Okay, traditions, inside jokes, things like that. And, I mean, one of the things was coffee is a food group. That was one <laughs> Another was when told to come to a family party dressed in costume and then in all caps, huge, on the page, we are not kidding. <laughs> so, so young Jen, and Jen knew us. Jen had been in the team choir that I had for years. She knew our, our family. She spent... Her, when she was in college, she spent uh, a lot of the time that she was home from school uh, at our house with other kids her age from the youth group. But um, when she came into the family, here she had, and she had stories from aunts and uncles and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, but what, if you think about your own family, what, what are those holidays that you think shapes who you are? Christmas. Okay. Because of, like, what, what is it? Traditions. The traditions. Yeah, yeah. 
And they're usually, even though we so let's get trees, or we put up wreaths, or we have nativity scenes, we, we usually celebrate differently with the foods, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that we expect to see on the table. It's how you, like, in, well, go ahead. No, you guys. What, what, what is it about Christmas that's different in your family than from another family? Christmas, Christmas Eve, we would go to service. Uh-huh. And then maybe open one door. Okay. <laughs> It was always one person's gift we opened. A friend who sent us the gifts. Oh, okay. Alright. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Bob, you got anything you want to think about? Or about family? Yeah. Bob and Bob, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 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 I'm sure it's not very spiritual particularly, but uh, after the kids, after we eat, uh, my daughters and I used to wash the dishes, and we used to have fun doing that. Uh, okay, but that's But every the family did takes apart and puts things back away. But, like but that. isn't that that those those things, those traditions that you develop, actually do shape how people relate? Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. Did you want to share something? You know, basically just uh, uh, the family getting together. Um, but our family was really broken up uh, since my father traveled a lot. So, you know, it, it, it was it was enjoyable when we were together with my grandparents and all the other relatives. But other than that, you know, it was just it was just a meal. Okay, okay, yeah. Larry, did you want to you want to share anything? Well, it's our tradition was both Christmas and Easter, and we'd always gather at my grandmother's house, which was a farm, and. <coughs> People came from everywhere, from Colorado. Uh, everybody made a real effort to be there. And mm-hmm. it was just the time of, of getting together and, and renewing mm-hmm. acquaintances and playing a baseball game in okay. the yard, whatever. <laughs> it was just a fun time. Yeah. Uh, people really felt bad if they couldn't make it. We all tried to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bob, you were going to say, or no, Faith was going to say. That's it. Remember, Mike, when we came home from Christmas Eve services, we all had little parts because we were at this Christian school. And then my mother would stand behind, we would have to stand behind the kitchen door and with Santa Claus that she would be coming and saying, Oh, oh, oh. And then she'd make us sing our songs, you know, that we sit just sang in church. At church. And we sat beside. Oh, that's nice. And then we could come into the through the swinging door, and well, we all knew it was my mother, but you know, but Santa was fun for her. But Santa was tied to that celebration. Yeah, she was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she says that's right. Well, he does. Though, I think we probably. I hope you do agree that to think about that concept of the way we celebrate in our families really mm-hmm. shapes us, and that's got to do with us. Okay, with if we as a community of faith celebrate those holidays or holy days in certain ways, they shape us too. Now we all live within calendars. Um, may, maybe we lived within calendars more when we were out in the working right. field, right? <clears throat> I mean. Then it was, you know, what, what the boss says, if you know what the deadlines were. I'm sure you're thinking of that. Um, or when the kids were in the house, and there were the sports calendars, the school calendar, the Sunday school Christmas program calendar. You know, all those calendars we live in. If somebody, I mean, I, we often heard it said, I, I don't know who said it first because I've heard it my whole life, that you can tell an awful lot about a person's priorities if you open their checkbook and their calendar. Hmm. Right? I mean, you see where the time and the resources, and time is an incredible resource, get spent. And so think back to the working working years or the years with the kids in the house. Those calendars drove what happened every day. You know, now I think all of us in this room are retired. <laughs> so so our calendars are a little easier maybe, but we still live by those calendars. Yeah, Joni. I'm more dependent on my calendar now because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. 
That is so true. That is so true. So we're going to think about a couple of calendars, worship cycles, and I thought what we would do, maybe just open to Leviticus 23, and I looked down where it is, it's page 101. We won't read all of us, uh, but I want us to have seen where it is, so later when you go home, you can look at this. But the, the Hebrew calendar, and I'm calling it specifically the Mosaic worship, the Mosaic from Moses, from the books of Moses, because Hanukkah and Purim aren't listed when God told Moses how they were to set up their worship cycle. Those came in later, much, much, much later, with Esther, Purim, and then in the time of the Maccabees and stuff, Hanukkah. But the Mosaic calendar starts, if you look at Leviticus 23, and I, one hundred and one, you see, like the headings in here say that it's going to be feasts of the Lord, and I didn't put the Sabbath up here, but just because I didn't want to squeeze it in. But the Sabbath, the six days, and then seven is the cycle. But the year starts the first holy day of the Mosaic worship calendar starts with unleavened bread and Passover. You can read that in verses four on down. First fruits is part of that. But I didn't, again, I didn't put that in. It comes right after that. Then, notice, the Feast of Weeks, it says in here, but that's Pentecost. Okay? 50 days or seven weeks after Passover is the Pentecost. And Jews celebrated that not only as this harvest in June, but also thinking in terms of they, if we read Josephus, we find out that the Jews at Jesus' time celebrated Pentecost as the day God gave the law on the mountain to Moses, the giving of the law, seven weeks and one day after Passover. Then we have trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, Okay, and that's their new year, but trumpets is, I think that's what it will say here, yeah, the Feast of Trumpets, if you look here, that's for them a reminder of judgment coming, but please notice, I've got all the ones in green are feasts, <clears throat> the only fast in the Jewish calendar, and I'll say that in a minute, <laughs> because Purim also includes fasting, the only holy day in the Jewish worship cycle that calls for fasting is Yom Kippur, which, which Debbie mentioned last week, the Day of Atonement, when they fast and seek forgiveness for sins. Now they, and then, then the final festival is tabernacles or booths. This was celebrating God's redemptive history. Every one of them celebrates that, but Tabernacles was the final God has done it. And so now I'm going to give you these. I don't know, two more over here. It looks aware, but it's just. But anyway, this I put together years ago, but it's so helpful to me to notice that everything is a family centered feast other than that Day of Atonement for Yom Kippur down there. Now, tabernacles, look, joyful, I'm reading the second column for tabernacles at the bottom. Joyful week-long fall harvest celebration. It's a first-day sacred assembly. Then they live in booths. They construct booths to remind them how they were temporary in the wilderness. And one of our daughters has done this with their four kids every year. They build, they don't live out there, but they build them on their back porch and go out and read the stories and remind themselves of God's redemption. But the focus is on rest. And then notice the intention Rejoice before the Lord. Remember the deliverance from Egypt. Remember temporary homes in the wilderness. And if you read the scriptures associated, you find out that all nations will worship before the Lord at a Feast of Tabernacles someday. Now, that 
times. The idea is a worship cycle. In Purim, I have fasting and feasting because Esther called for a fast because uh, wicked Haman was going to have all the Jews killed in the kingdom, and she called for a fast, and the story dramatically turns around, and Haman is killed. But So there, today, Purim, for the Jews, is celebrated joyfully with toys and games for children. But initially, it was a fast. I want us to see this as a cycle, as a calendar that the Jews live through, starting here every year. But also remember, it's moving from God's rescue through the ways that he has intersected with them, including forgiving sins, and moving towards the last festival of their year to all nations bowing before him. This is what Will Durant, in his volumes on the story of civilization, and in the the volume that um, concerns the Jews, Will Durant, his books are full of primary source material. So he quotes from the scriptures. He quotes from Plutarch. He quotes from, you know, Aristotle, Plato, all all of This is what he says about the Old Testament scriptures. He says it's not just a cycle which other religions believed in. He he, he makes us think about time moving forward, about the Old Testament scriptures, he says. And in a sense, we have here not mere history, but philosophy of history. The Old Testament, remember this is what he's talking about, a philosophy of history. He says this, the Old Testament, is the first recorded effort of man to reduce the multiplicity of past events to a measure of unity. Take all these past things that happened that are multiples and make them unified, how? To a measure of unity by seeking in them some creating purpose and significance. So when the Jews wrote the Old Testament, he says, They weren't just giving this list of all the things God did. They were saying, God is behind it. He's got a purpose, and it's moving forward. Some law of sequence and causation. Not that it's just a list of historical events. If you remember your history books when you were in school, I bet yours were much like mine, and it just seemed like all they wanted me to do was memorize dates and names. And I had no understanding of what their significance was. But he says the Old Testament is written to have us see sequence, not only the listing, causation, and some illumination for the present and the future. In other words, when the Jews wrote the Old Testament, he says, they weren't just listing stuff. They were saying, God's behind it all. A pervading purpose. And it is moving forward to some conclusion in the future. And I think that may even be on your handout. I don't know. Did I put that on the handout? Yes, it's, yeah, it's the first big quote. So, so on your handout, do you not, do you not have two pages? Oh no, it's on this hand. Oh, you don't have this hand. Yeah. Do you all have a handout? No, you don't have that. Oh, goodness, sorry. <laughs> you have one. If <laughs> you go, I'm sorry. <laughs> so the first brownish colored yes quote. That's Will Durant. Okay, so we have time moving forward. And I've got to look at time moving forward for us. Oh, we have an hour. Good. Now we get to a Christian worship cycle, like we had had the Hebrew one. And I wanted to remind us that Passover, really for the new Christians, and Pascha is the term that's often used, especially in the earliest documents. It's referring to Passover. Okay. <coughs> Pascha is, but for the Christian, it's Easter. Okay? (laughs) Remember how Paul says, and Christ, our Passover lamb, or Paschal lamb, was sacrificed for us. So for the earliest church, 
the beginning of the church year was not Advent like it is for us. That didn't come about till at least the 6th century, maybe the 8th century, mm. it began to be more universal. 6th century is when we begin to see anything written about a preparatory season for Christmas. For the first 600 years of the church, Passover slash Easter was the beginning of the church year. So, when, if we look at writings from, and again, we, we will see Paul talking about the Lord's Supper and coming together to celebrate, and Paul writes about a Paschal Lamb, but we have to get to the Apostolic Fathers, the first, the first 100 years of the church, and we begin to hear that the earliest Christians, the earliest Christians, because those earliest Christians were Jews, remember? <laughs> remember on the day of Pentecost, where's Pentecost? Um, oh, here, there. On the, on the, and those are the liturgical colors, that's why I did that. Um, on the day of Pentecost, with Peter in Jerusalem, there were, you know, if you ever have to read, be the lector on Pentecost, and you have to read where all those people were from. Uh, <laughs> nobody, and Pastor Harmon would never want to read that one because he doesn't like reading those, those words. But you find out that they're from all these cities of Asia Minor and areas of Asia Minor. Jews who went back to Asia Minor and started house churches worshiping and celebrated Passover. But not like the Jews who were still Jewish believers, not Messianic believers. The Jews celebrate the way we know, you know, the Lord's Supper, doing that, or when you do a Seder with your family. The earliest Christians we understand, especially in Israel, celebrated it for many more hours. They went till past midnight. Because what they did was they prayed for their Jewish believing friends to come to know the Messiah. So that's how we get the beginnings of a church year. The earliest church celebrating first just on that night of Passover, but into midnight, praying for others. Then that, and we'll see it on the next slide, began to be associated with Sunday as Easter. And so much of their celebration moved to Holy Saturday. And by the 4th century, they were doing a long... I don't, have any of you ever been to an Easter vigil that went till midnight? I have. It started around 5.30 or 6 in Chicago, Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton. Absolutely amazing because it's theatrical and it's musical and it's arts and all sorts of stuff. But at midnight, everything breaks out into joy because the day of Easter has come. They tell the whole story from Genesis through through um, you know um, uh, Ezekiel's dry bones and through the I mean the flood first and all the way through and then the prophets and then they get to the New Testament and when Easter comes you're supposed to have brought a pot or pans and wooden spoons and start noise making because finally the day of Easter has come in the early church when when they began to have a church year, and so this would be by the 4th century, but this, we see hints of this for those four centuries. The Easter season, whereas throughout the rest of the year, Christians fasted maybe one to two days a week. Okay, Maybe more, but one to two days a week because good Jews did that. Okay, and, But through the Easter season, no fasting. No kneeling. No kneeling in prayer. But by the 4th century, that's what we read, for the whole season until Pentecost. And then they would go back into the regular. But this is what our church year looks like. Again, cyclical, but think about it. When we get to, we start here, we start here. 
Advent, you know, all the way through, the last Sunday of the church year was when I was a kid, it was called Christ the King Sunday, and now the emphasis is on Sunday of the Fulfillment. And that's, it's true. That's, it's the, we have a fulfillment of the story of God. You know, Tara talks about living between the trees, Tara Wolf, or, uh, the tree in Genesis 1 to 3, the knowledge of good and evil where sin came in, and then the tree of life in the book of the Revelation. We live between the trees. And, and so we have this, this cycle we think about, the Christ the King Sunday. To me, that's, that's my favorite Sunday in the whole church, actually, even more than Easter. <laughs> but because it's the end of the story. Remember I said that in the Hebrew, and it's hard to go back on this, I never can do it right, but in the Hebrew, the Mosaic calendar, tabernacles, all nations would worship. That's what we say is going to happen. When Jesus returns as king, all nations, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So we have a cyclical thing going on. Once we have Christ the King, we go into Advent. But like Will Durant said, this is a story that's pointing forward. It's not just going around and around and around. It moves forward. Not just a sequence of events, but purpose, future. And that the future sheds light on the present. And that's what we're thinking about with this idea of a bright sadness in Lent. Yes, we are in this season, but there's a purpose and an end to which we're moving. Here's a real quick. From the 4th century, a catalog of the feasts of the Lord which are to be kept when each of them ought to be observed. I mean, this is prescriptive. We don't know if they actually did this. Some bishop probably wrote this. Observe the festival days. First of all, the birthday, okay? On the 25th of the ninth month, that's Christmas, and for us that would be December, ancients believed that heroes and their... uh, their forefathers, their patriarchs, were born and died on the same day of the year. As they, as they wrote histories, that's what they said. So when the early church talked about a day of Christmas, the way we get it, and, and, and most scholars today, not what I learned 25, 30 years ago that we do Christmas because of the winter solstice, no. Most scholars are now saying because there's a Roman chronograph from the second century that has this date, the 25th of whatever would be December for them, the same as us, they said, we know when Jesus was born. We know when Jesus died. It was either March 25th or April 6th, depending on which calendar, and that's the break we get between the Western and the Eastern Church today, Epiphany, okay, or Easter, you know, I mean, Count back nine months, they said, because the incarnation of Jesus begins with Mary and her conception of Jesus. And so they said, nine months before he died, March 25th or April 6th, he came into our world. So So we celebrate that as his birth. But they celebrated it as his incarnation. But saying it's the most important date. Okay, So that's how you get ninth month. Then they talked about a fast of Lent by the 4th century to be observed by you as containing a memorial of our Lord's mortal of life and legislation. But this solemnity should be observed before the fast of the Passover. So there's an indication that they were celebrating a Passover. And this gets confusing. So I'm not even going to read it. It talks about doing it from the second day and then the week before the Passover. It seems like they're talking about overlapping weeks. What we think of as Holy Week, Palm Sunday to Easter, they're saying Passover might be out here because they weren't celebrating Palm Sunday. No, I mean, I mean Passover's here between Palm Sunday and Easter. They say start it the week before a fast, go up to the Passover, then begin your regular fasting for Passover from the 4th century. We think that it was in the 4th century that we got the idea of a Lenten season. 
we're going to use this term, and then we're going to talk more about Lent in a second, but I probably had this out of order. Triduum is just three days. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but in the earliest church it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Um, <laughs> they talk about it. But okay. So we get the idea of a 40-day fast of Jesus, but I want you to hear what some of the influences were, because they weren't all the same. Everybody wasn't doing the same thing around the Mediterranean. First of all, we have those early Christian Passovers talked about. Then there were pilgrimages, and we're going to hear from a pilgrimage in Nigeria in a minute. Then the idea of Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness begins to be thought of as a good model for a season. It was also, Lent was also preparation for baptism, and it wasn't necessarily 40 days. It was thought of as a time of repentance and of mortification of the flesh. But look at, look at this. <laughs> the first problem with trying to figure out what the season was like is because in the earliest church for about 160, well, 100 years after Jesus, 130 years after Jesus, we still had the two sides of the church where John was in Ephesus. They were celebrating their Easter, their Passover on the 14th day of Nisan, in the Hebrew month. But in the Western church, let's say Rome, so it was a floating holiday, okay? We, we, like Passover is a floating holiday. But in Rome, they were saying, no, 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 we're always going to celebrate that Passover Easter thing on a Sunday. So there was a big argument between the Eastern church and the Western church, and it was only resolved in about 165 when an Eastern bishop came to Rome and they were going to celebrate the Eucharist together, they were on opposite sides of this Easter question. And the Roman bishop said, you consecrate. And so the Eastern bishop consecrated the elements in the Roman church, and somehow there began to be some fellowship, some honoring of one another, and they resolved the question. So that then we get Easter for us on a Sunday. In, in Jerusalem in the 4th century, there were 8 weeks of Easter, but only 40 days of fasting. In Rome, 5th century, 6 weeks, but only 3 weeks of fasting. Following Gregory, that's later, yeah, like the 6th to 8th century, I can't remember which he is, idea of tithing down to 36 days. In 4th century, they had a Lazarus Saturday and a Palm Sunday. In Rome in the 7th century, 200 years later, Gregory, ah, so yeah, so six days, six weeks, probably Ash Wednesday started in Milan in the 8th century. So you can see this is a convoluted history. Mm. Okay, now I want you to hear from Egeria. She, she's got money because she goes on a, a three-year journey. She writes to people she calls sisters. This is 4th century, primary source, accepted by almost every scholar in the world that this is legitimately written in the 4th century. She's, she's in the Middle East finding out what it's like. She, she may be a nun if they had women, like you know, that, that would be our turn. Here's what she said. She's in Jerusalem, diary of a pilgrimage. When the season of Lent, oh, she's from an area called Galicia in Spain, northwest Spain, even close to Portugal. But now she's in Jerusalem, writing home to ladies she calls my sisters. When the season of Lent is at hand, it is observed in the following manner. Now, whereas, whereas with us at home, the 40 days preceding Easter are observed. So up in Spain, they were doing a 40-day Lenten season. Here they observe eight weeks before Easter. This is the reason why they observe eight weeks on Sundays and Saturdays, they do not fast. Not just the not on Sundays, but on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, except on the one Saturday, which is the night before Easter, the vigil, the Easter vigil. Um, except on that day, there is absolutely no fasting here on Saturdays at any time during the year. So when eight Sundays 
and seven Saturdays have been deducted from the eight weeks. What is necessary, as I just said, to fast on one Saturday, there remain 41 days, which are spent in fasting, which are called Lent. So we hear from her. One thing we find out from Egeria is, just what that previous slide showed, that people were all over the map, even in the fourth century, about what exactly Lent was going to look like. That's where it's from. That's the history. But for our last ten minutes, let's think about where it leads us. Because to me, that's what's important in our gathering. It's not not even so much, even though we spent 45 minutes on where Lent and these, these seasons come from. Where it's going. It's going from those ashes of Ash Wednesday, that reminder of death that Pastor Harmon pulled out of that bag to that big rock, (laughs) that stone rolled away, okay, and the resurrection of the body, and a bright sadness encompassing it all. So I thought what we would do is just address for the next few minutes the question of, okay, isn't this just adding a lot of legalism? If we, if we start declaring an Ash Wednesday, a fast for 40 days, a give something up, or at 2.21 today, tomorrow, and every day during Lent, are we just becoming legalistic? That's a question that we need to deal with. We're only going to look at Romans 14, but these, and these will be on, on your handout, um, more insight into how we might think about things. But turn to Romans 14, and I wrote what page it's on. I think I could find it. Page 948. And let's look at Romans 14 for a minute. To try to answer this question, what do we do with the idea of adding, should we call them requirements? I mean, the Catholics certainly call these Days of certain days in their church year, they call days of obligation, right? When you go to Mass, is an obligation. Mm-hmm. The Lutherans don't tend to say that, but we heard Pastor 221. <laughs> we heard Dr. Zegler re- read that book of John out loud. <laughs> they're not saying give something up, but they're certainly saying do something. Okay. So we're at. Um, Romans 14. Would somebody be willing to read the first four verses? Sure, thanks, Jim. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Thank you. So what do you hear? What do you hear Paul saying about this question? (laughs) About are we just giving a a law? Don't judge. We can't judge anybody. So first of all, he's telling us, yeah, just watch out. Mm-hmm. Watch out how high that chin and that nose go. <laughs> right? Just watch out. If you're going to start talking about these holy days, watch out. And he's giving a little warning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody willing to read five through eight? Let's see what the other inside Paul gives us. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if 
we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whenever we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Thanks, Tom. So, we hear that apparently, in the early Christian church, the New Testament church, that we have some people deciding to fast from something, Mm -hmm. to eat meat or not eat meat. So questions are arising. This question, what are we going to do? Are we going to become legalistic? And Paul writes that whole letter of Galatians to say, don't fall back into a legalism. But what is he saying in these last verses? What did, what did you hear him saying? What advice is he giving us here? And what Bob just said. It doesn't matter. We belong to God. Which are we do? Yeah. There's a big... I don't know, what color would you paint grace? If you, have, if you wanted to do a modern art thing as big as that whiteboard and you were just going to fill it with color that represented grace, what color? I don't know what color. White. You'd do white. <laughs> I'd probably do pink, but... <laughs> <laughs> You're just colorful. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 But my husband's not really like, you know. <laughs> but yeah, but he's saying... Let's paint grace over this whole thing, right? Yeah. Don't judge. Watch out in yourself that you're not judging. As we go into a season of Lent, let's not judge others. And let's approach it with grace, because some are going to do some observation of Lent that we don't do. So then, then he gets to, anybody want to read uh, 9 through 12 for us? For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that, that he might be... Lord, both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, or, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give account for himself to God. So he's putting, I mean, he is saying, if you hear God telling you to do something, we are going to, we are going to be held accountable, right? Mm-hmm. And we are going to bow before Jesus. But again, he's saying, let's not make a law of something just because God's told, nudge me, maybe through Pastor Harmon. <laughs> he, he continues, um, yeah, well, let's read 13 through 18. Somebody willing to read that? Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, by what you eat, do you not destroy the one for whom Christ died? So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Thank you. Don't you love how he says the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking. It's not about what what you give up for. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah. No, I'm saying. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you say. I guess it comes back to judgment. You don't don't judge. You know? you and yeah. And don't offend. You know. Yes. Yeah. And he, he kind of paints this one with love, doesn't he? Yeah. That love should be over this, this whole thing. Yeah. I'm, interested, I'm interested to hear what's happening in the other room with the evil. Yes. Well, the, 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 the tagline under good God, bad world is deliver us from evil. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, would, I wish I were in there, too. <laughs> I hope she's taking good notes. And I hope they'll do it again. I hope they will. Do, I, I assume we're going to ask them to do that again. Mm-hmm. As we've asked Debbie to do, 
the Bible, yeah. the introduction right. to the Bible. She's done that twice, and I think in our meeting we're probably going to decide that in Lent we'll do something like this. And we'll, but we'll, we, we hope, many of us teachers have talked, and I think Tara's there too, that somehow we will cycle through things so that we have the opportunity. But yeah, what is the answer there? My guess is it's that petition from the Lord's Prayer because Pastor Keener wanted us to hear that. Deliver us from evil. There is evil. That we, we are faced in Lent with the reality of sin and the consequence, death. We are faced with that. But we hold out for what God is doing. We could read the rest of the chapter, but I, think I want us to end on time, especially because we um, are online. Look at, um, at page two, the second page of this, Lent as a School of Repentance. Uh, it's this page. It looks like this. It doesn't have the box at the top. It has the box a little bit lower. So, Bob Burns, I think if you turn it over, it'll be okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not this one. It's this one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the one where the box is a little lower, and it says Lent as a school of repentance. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, Robert Weber. Oh, no. I'm sorry. This is Alexander Schwing. Those who think of church services only in terms of obligations, who always inquire about the required minimums, how often must we go to church, or how often do we have to pray, all that kind of stuff, anyways, can never understand the true nature of worship, which is to take us into a different world, that of God's presence. But to take us there slowly because our fallen nature has lost its ability to exceed there naturally. Robert Weber talks about Lent being a time when Jesus is formed in us. And that's what it's about. It's not about the obligations, just like Shemaman is saying, it's not about obligations We're going to do these things so that Jesus is formed in us. So I'm going to suggest, I'm going to give obligations now (laughs) in this box. I'm I'm hopeful, and I'm challenging myself this way too, that over these three weeks, my own personal reflections and yours, I would hope, in this box, might be that in, in becoming familiar with Lent's history, with Lent's practices, and where it might lead, that um, during this week, consider reading Romans 5, 1 to 11, and take the opportunity to consider burdens in your own life that need to be lifted off of you, ways of living that maybe need renouncing. Like thinking about that, but what am I doing that in this season of Lent I ought to address and ask the Lord to show me how how should I be changing and outcomes in my growth of faith that I'd like to see happening. At the very bottom, oh, this looks terrible. I hope yours doesn't look like that. No, yours looks good. Mine looks bad. I got all these images. I've got suggested sources of Lent and devotional readings, most of them free. I've got some books out here that um, you know, are in my library and I've been using to get ready for this. But I think we'll just go to, with, with the word from, from Paul, that, that this Lenten season has to be painted over with grace and with love, right? If we're going to think about setting times aside for fasting or considering, When I say fasting, I'm just talking about all those practices in which we might be focusing on the Lord. Let's paint it all with grace. Let's paint it all with love. But let's turn to the Lord like pastor's asking us to. So the question, where might Lent lead me, lead you? And this is our closing prayer. And I didn't listen at the very end because we hopped in the car. But um, I'm guessing, or this would have been at the beginning, and I hadn't tuned in early enough in the service, and we may have heard. This is the, the, uh, the prayer, the collect, for the first Sunday in Advent. So why don't we close our class today with this prayer together. Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. 
Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.